Welcome back to the Can Do MS podcast. We're so happy you could join us for this episode in our community conversation series. Today, we'll hear from physical therapist Mandy Rorick and occupational therapist Stephanie Nolan as they discuss the differences between PT and OT, when you may want to consult which discipline, and their passion for working with people living with MS. Everyone. My name is Mandy Rorig. I am a physical therapist from Nebraska. I've been working with people who have MS in their families for nearly 14 years now. And I am joined today with Stephanie Nolan. I'm really glad that she, her and I get to have a conversation today about the complementary roles of PT, physical therapy, and OT, occupational therapy, throughout the disease course of MS. So, Stephanie, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Hi everybody, I'm Stephanie Nolan. I am an occupational therapist. Um, I've been working with people with MS for probably about six years now. Um, and I've loved this journey, I've learned so much and I've had such a great time becoming part of Can Do. And I've learned so much more even being with Can Do. So I'm excited to share some information with you guys today about um, occupational therapy, physical therapy and, and how we work together. Great. So. Stephanie, let's start with the role of the occupational therapist. How would you describe how an OT contributes to the overall MS healthcare team? Um, one word really comes to mind for me, and it's independence. Um, my primary goal with, with every person I see is independence if possible, as much as possible. Um, so we might address independence by um, working on energy conservation or working on modifications or adaptations to make the environment more accessible and also uh, making sure people are safe. I think the more safe that people are, the more independent they can be. Um, but independence and in especially in being able to take care of themselves. I love that because PT shares a similar focus, right? We want people to do as much as they can independently and enjoy their lives. Absolutely. What so why do you enjoy your work? Why, why did you become an occupational therapist? What do you like about it most? So I get this question a lot, especially from my clients, and it's really funny because um, I, I don't think there's one exact way to answer that, um, but it's, it's those moments when I just see somebody do something that they haven't been able to do or didn't think they could do, and they do it, and it's it's the light up in their face. It's the ability to be independent again, or have that uh, autonomy of being able to to use the bathroom by themselves. Simple as that. Like the excitement on someone's face when they say, "Somebody doesn't have to help me in the bathroom anymore," and that's huge. And being able to feel that privacy even again is great. So it's really just seeing that that light in someone's eyes when they're able to do something on their own. I love the light too. That's magical, isn't it? Uh-huh, it is. Stephanie, what would you say are the primary areas of focus for an occupational therapist in MS care? So this, I would say, depends on um, what stage in life somebody is in. Um, if somebody is young and in college, um, focus might be on getting around school, accessing the environment, being able to cope and manage different um, techniques for learning and using equipment if they need to for typing or uh, writing. But if it's somebody who's uh, maybe a parent, 
focus might be more on how to take care of their child, how to manage changing diapers if there's a fine motor deficit, something like that. Um, and then there's work and, you know, how can you keep up at work and how can you uh, modify your environment there to be able to type or use the computer systems or access the mouse. And then there's, you know, the retired couples who like to go and enjoy traveling. And, and I'm not retired, but I enjoy traveling too, for sure. Um, but being able to travel or enjoy leisure activities and maybe um, certain events that are really important to them. Other things would include driving or home management, which I think all of us have to do and none of us really want to, but, you know, taking care of the house and how to clean and how to cook and keep your life going. That's great. So there's a strong theme of independence, it sounds like, and a strong theme of trying to make sure that you can do the daily tasks that you need to do and that you want to do. Absolutely. I know that people sometimes confuse our roles. Um, so how do you explain the role of PT in MS care? And uh, what are your particular areas of focus? Yeah, so I think, Stephanie, we have a very similar overall goal. We want people to be independent. We want people to be able to do what they can do as often as they can do it, right? So I think physical therapists in the role of MS care specifically, we can help people both early in their disease, as you alluded to, and even as their disease progresses. So earlier in the disease, it might be more looking at baseline ability levels and establishing what are the strengths and what are the existing challenges that may be present early in the disease. And actually later in the disease, it's not too much different, but the interventions that we try to employ may be different. So later in the disease, we might use more tools, mobility aids, bracing, other types of adaptations that can allow people to still achieve that goal of independence or optimizing their mobility. I also think that it's good for people to think of occupational therapy and physical therapy as complementary. But occupational therapists, you guys, you know, you're the experts on fatigue management, more fine motor, more use of the upper extremities. It's a good way to think of that for, for clients, whereas PTs work a little bit more on gross mobility. So, for example, walking and balance retraining in the context of, of movement and gross movement. Um, we also help with spasticity management, as you guys do, too, I suspect. Um, working with the other members of the healthcare team to make sure that spasticity is not interfering with mobility. And then I would also comment that we work on strength training, aerobic training, um, in addition to both both balance training and, and flexibility training. So overall, again, moving what you can as often as you can is the goal of, of physical therapy as well. So to follow up on that, I know that some PTs offer pelvic floor therapy. Um, can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, pelvic floor physical therapy is a, is a pretty specialized area of PT. And what pelvic floor physical therapists are is they have are folks who have additional training beyond our general physical therapy training. And they work on strengthening the muscles and different via different strategies to help the pelvic floor muscles. So there's a bunch of them down there, as well as our lower abdominal muscles to um, be stronger. It's especially helpful for those folks who um, have bladder issues. Um, now, it may not be helpful for 
all folks who have bladder issues because different bladder issues can be addressed with different strategies. But certainly worth having a conversation with a urologist or your neurologist to determine if the type of bladder that you have may benefit from pelvic floor physical therapy. And if so, and you find yourself on the hunt for a, a pelvic floor PT, the APTA, which is the American Physical Therapy Association, APTA.org, you can search for a women's health physical therapist to help you with this particular issue. That's a great question, Stephanie, because it's something that we don't often talk about. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting um, subcategory of PT, and it's so specific. It's, but it's really important. I think a lot of people find it very helpful for them. So our roles are very different in some ways, um, but we also overlap. How would a person with MS or a family member decide which one of us to see? You know, this is a really great question because it's often confusing for people with MS and their families to know who any of us on the healthcare team, who should, we, who should they pursue, who should they call and contact. But when we're talking specifically about physical therapy or occupational therapy, I think you're safe. The short answer is you're safe to reach out to either one, right? <laughs> yeah, and I feel like we often will ask, say, hey, maybe actually OT would have been better. We bounce back and forth. Exactly. So because of that, there's that mutual respect, that understanding of what the other discipline does and the realization that, you know what, it might be okay if you see me one visit, but you really need to visit with an occupational therapist. So in short, the short answer would be, Either one of us are fine. But the slightly lengthier answer would be, again, if you're having more issues with gross mobility, walking, balance, big muscles involved in your body, the strength and the endurance of those muscles, maybe talk with a physical therapist. If you're having more challenges related to specific uh, activities of daily living, related to activities in your home or work, and you may need the expertise of someone like Stephanie or an occupational therapist who can really dive into the, the nitty gritty of those movements, then you may need an occupational therapist. I would also add, and I'd like your opinion on this too, Stephanie, we both work on fatigue management, right? Mm -hmm. We do. And fatigue's a big issue for people living with MS. So um, from the perspective of a PT, we work on fatigue management when it comes to cooling, movement efficiency so that you're not wasting valuable energy moving in a way that's inefficient and that that uses too much energy but we also look at it in the in the from the approach of conditioning as well so someone who's deconditioned may need a little bit of exercise from a physical therapist in order to kind of uh, optimize their fatigue as well so how do you guys approach fatigue management so from the OT side of things, um, you know, we do a little bit of kind of the same things that you said, but our focus mostly is on adaptive equipment a lot of the times. Um, what could you use to make that task easier? How do we save some of that energy pulling up your pants so you could enjoy that energy later on at your son's soccer game, right? Um, so finding different pieces of equipment to help. Maybe you need um, something like a shower chair to conserve energy in the shower. That's a huge one. It gets hot in the shower. And again, we 
are hardcore and focusing on that um, heat, managing the heat and um, in the showers, you know, knowing to cool your showers. They shouldn't be so hot and maybe sitting down. Also modifying your routines. Um, how can you pace your day? Uh, we call them the four P's. Uh, pacing, planning, prioritizing, and positioning. Those four P's are really important on saving energy throughout the day so you can use that energy on the things you love instead of using it on vacuuming the house, you know? like. So I think that's more the way the OT focuses on that energy conservation where that's why we make such a great team because there's so many areas of energy conservation that one therapist can't do it all in one day. So it's great to have both disciplines kind of take each a little section and work on how we can improve energy consumption and, and have better function really. Absolutely. I mean, and for as big of an issue as fatigue for people living with MS, it's great to have more than one set of eyes trying to tackle the challenge Absolutely. of the team. Yep. So because of the ways we've chatted about already how our roles can overlap, we obviously have very many opportunities to work together to improve safety and to improve independence and overall comfort. Can you just describe a situation um, that would illustrate how you work with a PT to help someone with MS. Absolutely. Um, and I, I love working with PTs because, like you said, having extra eyes, we also see different things that one of us could miss and another could see. So, um, you know, especially when I was working inpatient, I loved having co-treats. And one example, even though it was always a little tough, um, that I loved co-treats was toileting. Um, Getting three people in the bathroom might be a little bit weird, um, <laughs> but but sometimes we had to do it to figure out, like, why was it hard to get up and down from the toilet? Why was it hard to manage the clothes? What do we need to do, and how are we going to approach that? So um, the OTs, you know, I would generally take over, okay, here's the adaptive equipment. Here's how you can manage your clothes. Um, here's the, the proper chair to use over your commode. Sometimes I'd recommend a bidet, just something simple like that because it can, saves you a little bit of energy for, for cleaning yourself after. Um, and then educating on the um, energy conservation. If necessary, the OTs would address vision also. Um, sometimes vision could be a challenge and cause some balance issues. We talk about the energy conservation and the routines of like, when do you use the bathroom? How do you plan to use the bathroom? And, and um, then the PT had this whole other perspective, which is awesome. Um, and they would work on like, okay, we can tell there's weakness in this part of your leg during this part of the transition. And this is where we need to focus. So they would do strengthening or the spasticity, like you mentioned earlier, or even just a loss of range of motion and how to modify or work around that range of motion or stretch maybe. Maybe that's all they needed to be able to get that transition from the toilet up. Orthotics are another thing that the PTs do and OTs aren't so um, huge into the lower body orthotics, but um, maybe there's a special orthotic that they need to help with uh, transfers in general. Mobility devices, you already mentioned from the PT's perspective, you know, what device is correct? We don't want people just grabbing whatever they saw at the local drugstore and throwing it in front of them because it's it can actually be dangerous if you have the wrong thing. So um, a PT is the person who's going to help us in that situation in the bathroom. What do we use? What's proper for them? And again, the, the balance and the endurance and the strengthening. And then as far as toileting, we can also even throw pelvic floor in there. Um, some people have trouble, you know, releasing their bladder to go to the bathroom and a pelvic floor PT might be the right person who, who addresses that goal. 
So again, I think what you just described so beautifully was this teamwork, these multiple people looking at the same situation, but through a slightly different lens. And with everything in MS care, it's so important to have that team of people really strategizing and collaborating and working together to, to help you do what you can do. So in the ideal world, when would you like to see, begin to see a person living with MS? I don't think we always get to see them when we want to see them. So if you could, if you could pick and choose when you get to start seeing someone living with MS, when would you like to see them? I wish I could see everyone before they even knew how they had MS. How about that? Um, <laughs> I to educate more people about MS before they ever even know about it in a personal experience. But it's hard to say because it depends on the level that everyone's at. I would love if everyone who was diagnosed with MS could instantly have an OT consultation. And it doesn't need to be full treatment, even if it's just consultation, because we know what to ask. Um, and, and the doctors have so much to do and so much to take care of in the, in the medications and the dealing with asbestosity and all those things that sometimes they don't get to ask, how was your sleep last night? Or did you use the toilet okay this morning? You know, like those are the things that we jump into. So it would be nice if I would say within the first month, if we could say, hey, let's do a quick consult. Let's just talk about what you're experiencing and sometimes people don't even know they're having a problem until an OT asks well what about this or that um, so it would be nice to do a consult as far as treatment as soon as you start to see you're losing function or independence in especially in self-care if you're asking for help for things now that you didn't need help for two weeks ago I would say ask your doctor for a consult, see if there's something an OT can do, because a lot of times I feel like people don't get that referral until it's really a struggle, until they are completely dependent on someone else for a shower, or they're about to lose their job because they can't figure out how to modify the environment or how to keep up with everybody else. So I guess that's a lot of different answers. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I just wish I could see everybody with MS as soon as possible. <laughs> I'd like to ask you the same question, though. I'm sure um, you share my frustration that people are often referred much later in the game, and you'd like them to be seen sooner. So how do you feel about that? Quite similar to you, actually. I think um, often people sense, and you see this too, people with MS are very intuitive with their, with their bodies. They are the experts on their bodies. And they often sense when something's changing or when something is becoming more challenging, even before their, their neurologist or their MS provider recognizes that. So, so yes, I would encourage people to advocate for themselves, trust your discretion, and when your body feels different or when you find something more challenging, speak up and don't hesitate to ask for, for those referrals. I, too, would like to see people at diagnosis if possible or shortly after diagnosis i think it's really valuable at diagnosis for the opportunity for, to have rehab provide education in addition to the education that they're receiving from the neurologist because to your point stephanie they are looking at medication management their role is to really focus on halting that disease or slowing that disease Whereas we're going to look at it differently, right? We're going to look at trying to 
keep them moving in the best way that they can and helping them to set themselves up for success in the future, not just with their, their MS, but their overall physical health and wellness. So at diagnosis is ideal, but that's not always the case, right? I think seeing people anytime during the course of their disease is fine. Some folks um, we just see after a relapse. Some people we see, um, we have kind of pre-scheduled opportunities, just like you would with your neurologist or with a dental checkup even where you just come in for periodic tune-ups, the PT looks and evaluates how your movement in was with a couple key um, outcome measures, and we determine if there's been a significant change or if there are any challenges. Sometimes that leads to subsequent therapy. Sometimes that leads to, hey, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. We'll see you in another six months to a year. So again, it, it circles back to that theme of advocacy, being your own advocate, making sure that you're getting the help that you need when you when you need it. So yeah, I think it's important to make sure make sure you just speak up, speak up for your needs, and when you need help, ask for that. So I think we should talk a little bit about the ways that occupational therapy and physical therapy also support the support partner. I think in Candu at Candu MS we talk a lot about that the fact that MS affects everyone in the family and the closest loved ones. We actually had a participant at a recent program say that MS isn't a me disease, it's a we disease. And I think that that participant very succinctly described how we approach MS as an organization. So can you tell us a little bit about how OT supports the support partner? Absolutely. So. The first thing that generally comes to mind, I think that most people would think of is um, if the support partner is helping physically um, with transfers or mobility and things like that, educating the support partner on how to do those transfers or help with that mobility in the safest way possible to prevent injury to themselves. Um, you know, that's the first thing that usually comes to mind. And a lot of times support partners didn't have training and they just slowly grew into this role of helping lift the wheelchair into the trunk and slowly and slowly their back is starting to hurt over time. Um, so that's definitely a huge area of focus when we work with support partners as well. But the other things to know is that our support partners are kind of like our detectives. Um, they're in there, they're the private eye kind of. Um, they're in there and they're paying attention to the things that are changing. They often will notice things before the person with MS does. Um, and they can point out those, those small changes that they're seeing. Maybe the spasticity in one leg has gotten a little bit worse lately, um, and they're noticing it during that car transfer. Um, so it's really important for us to be communicating with our support partners also so that we can find out the little things that are happening when we're not there. We only see them maybe an hour a week, if that. Um, so the support partners are every day to see those little things that are happening that we don't see. Also, some support partners, and this is all, really love to help their uh, loved ones. You know, they really want to do everything for them and dote on them and, and let me help you with this, let me help you with that, or they're afraid that they're going to get hurt. So they want to do everything for them, which is a loving thing, and it's usually totally out of a good nature, but sometimes it can take away a little bit of the independence for that person with MS, which can be frustrating. So educating that support partner on, you know, they are safe if they use their adaptive equipment and letting them see therapy happen and letting them watch 
they did this transfer with a sideboard and they did great in therapy. They can do it by themselves. Let them work on it because we also don't want that person to lose that strength or lose that skill. I think though there's this hope to be kind and good and helpful, sometimes it can be a little bit hindering. So it's just important to educate them that this person can still be independent with these activities. Let them do it. Give them that autonomy and that feeling of I can do these things for myself still. And, you know, I also find that a lot of times when I'm trying to problem solve something, if there's a situation, for example, we have, I had a, a client one time who had this bizarre shower. It was the weirdest shower I've ever seen. And there was this glass wall and this built-in chair and all kinds of funny stuff. And I couldn't get a tub transfer bench or a shower chair or anything in there. And But the support partner and I talked about it with the person with MS. And we were able together as a team problem solve. How could we modify? What could we do? And the support partner said, well, we can just take that glass wall down. Like that does come down. I don't mind doing that. And they're also not just the detective, but they're also finding out these ideas and these solutions to things with us. So the more involved they are, I think um, the support partner can be able to almost do some of the things that we're doing, but not have to see us. They might learn that natural problem solving skill of, oh, we can just modify this like we did in therapy a couple weeks ago without having to call for help for this. So so those are the areas I'd say I focus the most on with my support partners. That's great. I, I feel similarly, actually. I know at Can Do Programs, we do a lot as physical therapists to help support the support partners as well. And I loved what you said about kind of teaching communication, how to help, when to help, mm-hmm. more importantly. Um, because yeah, at, at the end of the day, the support partner, the rehab team, PTOT, we all want the same thing, right? We all want the person living with MS to have the, the optimal independence safely and as often as they can. So PT has a similar, a similar priority. Um, we often will help with transfers. We'll also teach them how to help properly with walking so that they're not jeopardizing their own safety. So very similar to you. And I would also add that early on in the disease, when perhaps maybe there aren't as many physical challenges, and I bet you do this too, Stephanie, we do a lot of education. Mm, Absolutely. So the support partner being at those sessions with PT or OT is really important because we can educate on those invisible symptoms and give people a better understanding of what that might feel like because it's hard to explain it's hard to uh, convey to people that we love challenges that that they can't see so I think often having that collaboration with the rehab team and kind of that third party if you will um, is really is really helpful so at the end of the day if someone listens to this and they're like hey I need Stephanie but I don't live by her what is the best way for someone to find an occupational therapist who understands MS? So usually what I tell most people to do is to go to um, the National MS Society website and find the the navigator program in there. So the MS navigator, um, you can call them and you, you can ask for help finding any resource you can imagine through them. They have great, great resources. But you could say, I need an OT who understands MS. Can you find one in my area for me? And they will help you. Um, And their website also has that same thing. So if you go to their website, um, the National MS Society website, and then you go to the menu, 
and click down under resources and support and there's a, a section called find doctors and resources. You can literally type in uh, your zip code and it'll pull up whatever you know um, practice you're looking for, whatever type of therapy you're looking for, it'll pull it up um, a huge list of who's in your area. So, so that's a great way to do it. And there's also the American Occupational Therapy Association website um, that has a search uh, engine on there also to be able to find an OT in your area. So, and I know it matters what type of PT you get also. So um, can you explain its importance for someone to see a PT uh, with experience with MS? Yeah, so I agree. Like. It's challenging sometimes because no two people with MS present exactly the same. So having someone who understands that that spectrum is really important. I would say uh, it's important to make sure that you you find that PT who understands MS for a couple of reasons. Because fatigue is is one of those symptoms that's pretty widespread among folks living with MS. So someone say for example who does more orthopedic based physical therapy or sports physical therapy may not understand how that fatigue can present how that fatigue can fluctuate between sessions and they may be more tempted to to push and progress based on a protocol that's more traditional in orthopedic type of care so i think that is one key difference when searching for a PT. Make sure you have someone who understands that fatigue as well as that heat sensitivity. That's something else that's really unique to MS that that again how that can bring on symptoms, pre present those pseudo exacerbations, bring on symptoms. Um, a, a PT without that understanding or an OT without that understanding might be hesitant or may not know when to, to scale back or when to push. So mm -hmm. I think that's really important. But I also would argue, and you maybe feel similarly, you know, PTs with understanding of MS, occupational therapists with understanding of, of MS, we're not everywhere. So if you have a rehab professional that you're comfortable with, that you trust, that um, is, is interested in your care and is teachable and trainable and willing to have that dialogue, that's okay too. That's just as important because, um, they can grow and learn with you about how to optimize your, your overall movement. So, so finding someone you trust is just as important, I would argue. Yep, I would agree. And I think actually that's where I was when I first started at MS. Um, I, I remember my first client with MS came in. I thought, oh my gosh, like I don't have extensive training. I don't know all the detailed things, but you know, I knew the basics. And um, when you just think of the person, the person as a whole, and it, it helps you get through it. I would say now my treatments would be way more different than they were then, but also the things that we did back then, we, we made huge changes in his life. So um, yes, I think still finding an OT or a PT that is teachable, that likes to learn that's exactly what it is, I think, is, is they're willing to take in that information and learn it with you and help problem solve it with you because that foundation of OT and, and PT the same is to understand the body, figure out how to help that body and how to work in that environment with it. So I agree. And I think that summarizes why why we like working in MS, right? Like we love the problem solving spirit that our clients with MS have. We love the the, the changing, the individuality of these folks, but most of all, I suspect you share this too, 
that resilience and that determination is so respectful and amazing and it never um, never gets old. So it's such a privilege to work with this population. Do you have any closing comments, Stephanie? No, I, I think this is a great topic. I'm so glad we get to share this information. It's a, it's a question I get very often. So hopefully it'll clarify for a lot of people, but that we work separately, we work together, you know, we do different things and, and work together. So great. So I love it. Thanks, Mandy, for, for having me today and, and chatting with me. It was great. Thanks, Stephanie. It was a pleasure. so much, Mandy and Stephanie, for your incredible insight. And thanks to our listeners for tuning into this episode of the Community Conversations podcast series. We'd also like to thank our sponsors, Biogen, EMD Serono, Santa Fe Genzyme, Celgene, Genentech, and Mallinckrodt Pharmaceuticals for making this series possible. Be sure to check out the other episodes in the Community Conversations series, featuring more discussions between healthcare professionals. For additional resources, please visit www.cando-ms.org.